Chapter 11. The Abyss of Himself. Why should we honor those that die upon the field of battle? A man may show as reckless a courage in entering into the abyss of himself. W.B. Yeats. Crawford, ruffled from his news conference, found Graham at nightfall in the quiet of an unused room on the floor above the U.S. prosecutor's office. Good lights hung low over the green felt of the jury table where Will had spread out evidence papers and photographs, like puzzle pieces ready for the board. He had taken off his jacket and tie, and undone his top button, leaving him looking barely awake as he sat half-slumped in a chair, staring at two photos in particular. The Leeds framed picture on his right, the Jacobis on his left. There was no photograph of Lowndes. Honestly, Jack wasn't sure if it was because Will didn't want to be reminded, or if Will simply didn't care. Both were bad signs that Jack didn't want to look at too closely. He didn't need any more trouble with Graham. Looks like a pool room in here, Jack said as an opener. Did you knock him dead? Will asked as he looked up. He was pale but sober. When he sat back, Jack could see a quart of orange juice in his right hand. Will's eyes never strayed further than Jack's collar, seeming unable to make it to his face. Well? Jack took the opportunity to collapse in his own chair. They swallowed what I gave them. Guess that'll have to do for now. Chicago feels a little safer after I told them your prediction. He won't hit Chicago, Will said, as if to solidify his calculations. He wasn't here for Chicago. Chicago was just unlucky enough to have lounge. Jack watched him take a long swallow of orange. Will blinked his eyes bright and held out the carton. Want some juice? Maybe if it had something stronger in the mix. I'm laying off the hard stuff. Makes me a little crazy. You can say that again. I'd rather not. Any news on the gas? Yeah. The news is Liza Lake is a godsend. Turns out our guy isn't as smart as he likes to think. He used unleaded gas a hall on Freddy. More specifically, Servco Supreme. There are 41 Servco Supreme franchise stations in Greater Chicago. Captain Osborne's boys swarmed those to check sails given out in containers to someone driving a van or truck. Nothing yet, but they haven't seen all shifts. 186 stations, all over eight states in total. We're getting cooperation. If God loves me, he'll have bought it with a credit card. There's a chance. Not if he can suck a siphon hose, there isn't. Jack didn't appreciate Will's lack of enthusiasm, but he also couldn't blame him. Without the drink, Graham appeared to be sobering up to the stark reality that they were still in a bad way. They had evidence, but it was all on a shoestring. Things were getting close now. Five days left to the full moon and counting. Their guy was escalating. Jack knew the next one would be something no one would want. He just hoped to hell he didn't do two in one night. Talking to Will when he was low was an exercise in control and patience. Feeling hollow and miserable did not dull Will's intuition. 
Instead, it seemed to heighten it. The man was quick to point out any flaws in Jack's argument, or correct anything he thought Jack might have missed. Jack thought he might be more on the ball now than he ever was when he was happy. A content Will Graham didn't need to solve himself by solving cases. It was what had made Jack resent Will ever reciprocating Hannibal Lecter's advances. The doctor had picked up Will's cracked life and molded it back together with the slow and unwavering resilience in the face of Will's resistant nature. And without the neurotic need to save everyone, Will had seemed to realize that he might need saving too. Jack had been forced to sit at his desk and read Will's resignation letter, whole passages clearly dictated by Lecter, and curse the damn party where Lecter had laid eyes on Graham. Even if he knew he should resent Lecter meeting Will for a whole mess of other reasons. But Jack's excellent administrative instincts were not tempered by mercy. No matter how miserable it was to know he was pulling Graham apart all over again, he'd do it a thousand times before he watched another one, or two, or ten, or who knows how many more families wipe from existence. And he knew Graham felt the same. It was what made it bearable. You think he's still close? Will said once Jack gave him an opening. They'd been talking city layouts and likely hideouts for the ferry. It makes sense, Jack rebutted, for the timescale of her injuries. Hell, the mouth injuries she had were hours old. Do you think Lowndes was unconscious when the tooth fairy bit her? No. He'd want her awake to receive the dragon's blessings, Will said with bitter certainty. That's what I figured, too. So here's what we've got. The fairy bumps up Freddy's car and takes her out with a knock on the head. That's in the garage. Then he keeps her quiet with chloroform. They found traces in her throat. Does his thing. Then brings her back and gets her here hours after the bite. He could have done it all in the back of a van, Jack. Parked out somewhere. You're forgetting the wool, Jack argued. The fibers Beth found in the wheels of the wheelchair. Two kinds, wool and synthetic. I'd say the synthetic could be from the van, but wool? When do you ever see a wool rug in a van? Or in some place you could rent? No. Wool's from a house. And there was mold, Will conceded, looking down as if he was speaking to himself. Jack was more than aware Will hadn't made eye contact with him since he'd arrived. It was like talking to a ghost. On the wheelchair. Dirt, too. Something you might find on equipment kept in a dirt-floored basement, maybe? Right. Now look at this. Jack pulled out a map. Freddy was gone a little over fifteen hours, by my estimate, and her injuries were spread over that time. Figure in Chicago traffic on a Tuesday afternoon, a few hours to work lounge over, wherever he took her, and then the time driving back. He couldn't have gone much more than six hours driving time outside of Chicago. He pointed to the map, tracing the circle he'd outlined. This is six hours driving time. And we're looking into all the places you could get a tattler in that time. You said it. This guy's old-fashioned. He'd want a paper copy, not a digital one. He wanted to see Lecter's reply printed on the page. So far, we've got a list from the tattler of where their distributors would have got copies on Monday night, ready for our guy to pick up. Milwaukee, St. Louis, Cincinnati, Indianapolis, and Detroit. That gives us even more narrowed margin. What if he just stayed here? Maybe he broke into somewhere. Maybe he knows someone and they let him use their place. Come on, Jack. There's too many ifs and buts. I thought you didn't like to make assumptions. I don't. I'm just spitballing. Right. You're assuming, Will said. Jack let his lips flatten into a tight line. Regardless of your want to believe the opposite... Freddy left us with nothing more than we already know. No, she left us with more than we already knew. Just nothing concrete. I thought you were all hot over the evidence a couple of days ago. Yeah, until I got a good look through it. I hoped, Jack. I really hoped there'd be something there. 
I'm not beyond hope yet, you know. But there wasn't. Not a thing. Just ashes and regret. That's what Freddy left us. Jack kept his mouth shut, even as his lips moved against each other with the need to snap out something he was sure he'd regret. Look, Lowndes was a straight snuff. We made him mad at Lowndes, Will said. Jack could hear the acrimony, the words left unsaid. I made him mad at Lowndes. He knew Will didn't want to say. The only connection to Lowndes is one we made. There's little hard evidence to connect them that'll narrow anything down. Lowndes was an annoyance to him, but the leads in the Jacobis, they're what he needs. I've got to know what that connection is, Jack. If we're ever going to catch him, I need to know how he chose them. All right, Jack nodded. Look, I said I'd give them a profile. The Chicago PD, they're mollified, yeah, but they're still jumpy. Any luck finishing the one I asked you to do? Not yet. I'll work on it. Will didn't look like his mind was on Jack's words 100%. Good. That's good. Get it to me by Tuesday. Jack wasn't in the mood for more politics, but he felt he could stretch to a little diplomacy. How's the little squirt? Last time I spoke to her? Tired. Will said, as if he sympathized. And angry at me, with every right. She'll get over it. She's still young enough to not care as long as she gets you back. Uh, I'm sure Agent Marquez isn't thinking that right now. There are tantrums, and then there are tantrums. And then there are Eleanor's tantrums. I think I might be getting off easy. Don't try and wiggle out of it. You know you're taking this hard. Not much I can do about that. Jack could tell Will's heart wasn't in this either. He changed track again, trying to find the root of the problem. With Will, it was always a hunt. What's wrong, Will? Something's got up your ass about this. It's nothing. Don't give me that. I'm not. It's just... Will half stood from the chair and reached over to a slim manila folder sitting in a half-open cardboard box, opening it to rifle through and pull out a report from the boys in the lab. This is what they gave me back from the tree. The tree? Jack asked, taking the report. You remember? When I went to Birmingham, I found where the fairy had been sitting. He had a spot in the tree out back of the gardens in the Jacoby Street, carved a symbol into the bark. Will's voice darkened. The Mahjong symbol for the Red Dragon. It didn't mean anything at the time, but I guess it talks for itself now. Anyway, he hacked off a limb from one of the branches so he could get a better view of the garden, and Zeller's guys identified the cut from the branch as these bolt cutters. And? And it's been in the back of my mind for weeks now, Will said, staring at the felt table and its plethora of paperwork. Why the hell did he bring bolt cutters when he ended up breaking in through the back door? Maybe it was precaution. Maybe he didn't know what he'd find, so he brought it just in case. But he took a glass cutter to the leads. The Jacobis had a glass panel on their door, too. Why didn't he do the same? It would have been easier, far easier, than what he ended up doing. Hell, if he wanted to break in, he could have bought a drill and gone through the lock. Anything but bolt cutters, Jack. Why the hell did he bring the bolt cutters with him? I don't know, Will. Jack was getting to the end of his diplomacy. But maybe let that simmer in the background while you get along with everything else, okay? Sure. Will sighed. Sure, Jack. Hey, you want some dinner? It's already eight. No, not now. Maybe later. I need to... Just think this over a bit more. You go. Okay. Call me as soon as anything comes to mind. On leaving, Crawford looked back at Graham from the gloom of the doorway. He didn't care for what he saw. The hanging lights deepened the hollows in Graham's face as he studied, with the victim staring at him from the photographs. The room smelled of desperation. 
He considered putting Will back out on the street, letting him go to Birmingham again like he'd asked, stop him from burning himself out as he sank like a stone through all this savagery. Only he couldn't. Jack didn't have time left for compassion. His instinct told him to leave Graham alone, and everything would work out, somehow. Choosing wine for Hannibal Lecter's table had always been a torturous process. Jack had never researched complementary flavors, and wet or dry years, more than when he received an invitation to the good doctor's table. This night had become somewhat of a culmination of what he was now calling his training. Jack. Hannibal smiled welcomingly as he answered the door. "'You are the first to arrive,' Lecter said as he took Jack's coat and hung it in the atrium. "'And the last, it appears. I'm afraid plans have been altered. You are to be our only guest.' Jack wouldn't lie and say his heart didn't sink. He'd rather hope the full night's responsibility of looking pleased for the happy couple wouldn't fall solely to him. He'd remembered to send Alana some dead flowers by way of a thank you for dropping him in it. Dr. Bloom can't make it? She has been otherwise engaged. Ah. Lecter's eyes glinted as Jack handed him a bottle. A la aprita. Wonderful choice, Jack. Even I have trouble sourcing Castilla di Ami here in Baltimore. Well, it's a special occasion. Jack brushed off the implications of his generosity. I should get married more often. Hannibal joked mischievously. Speaking of which, where is your better half? Jack thought it only fair to join in the joke, even if personally he didn't feel it was a funny topic. The study, Hannibal told him, second floor beyond the sitting room on the left. Can I leave you to retrieve him while I open this? It should be allowed to breathe. Entrenched himself, has he? Jack asked. Ever since the most recent body was found in the river. In a way, Jack Crawford found it morbidly reassuring. Will was still Will. The honeymoon debacle had rattled him. He wouldn't dismiss that. When treated with the necessary care, Will Graham was a stalwart and reliable guy. Had been ever since Jack had met him. And now there seemed to be trouble from all sides. If it wasn't Will leaning away from his job, it was jackasses like Hatcher and Conrad being bigoted sons of bitches and pushing Will away from his damn job. It also seemed, from the rumors circulating, that Hatcher wasn't the only one talking crap about Will. And truthfully, Jack had no capacity right now to handle an investigation into the allegations. He just hoped the break Will had taken had allowed him to shake off the cloud he'd walked into ever since he'd slipped into Lecter's bed. The study was not a room he was familiar with. Darkly furnished in heavily varnished oak and mahogany, upholstered in forest greens and subtle ochre, books up the walls in tall shelves, low-lit. It seemed more of a lair than a room. Somewhere a sophisticated beast would hide in a fairy tale, luring up unsuspecting travelers. Only the trim figure of Will Graham, white-shirted and gray-suited, leaning against a laden desk on his left hand as he scribbled something down with the right, broke the fantasy. So absorbed was he in his task that he did not notice Jack at all until he was close enough to see the tan line at his neck. Jack. Will's identical greeting was so very different from Hannibal's. Surprised and distracted, versus relaxed and controlled. That time already, huh? I've been sent to fetch you, Jack said, as he looked down at the papers on his desk. Familiar sight set into a new form. Photos of the recent missing in the Baltimore catchment area whose bodies had washed up or been found by unlucky joggers and dog walkers. He couldn't help but wave his finger over the line of dead faces. What is it? Date order? 
Skin tone order. Will shrugged when Jack raised an eyebrow. Shoot me down if you want. It fits. Don't you think it fits? Look at the subtle shift in shades. No one like the other. Like a makeup counter. You're serious. Damn right I am. It's a pattern. I don't know what for yet, but patterns don't pop up without motive. Beverly agrees with me. Thought you were supposed to be working the newest Ripper victim. Jack couldn't help but sound sharp. I have. Nothing more to do now until something new comes up from the lab. Will said, distracted. But this one's got a lot of potential. You don't want my thoughts? I want the Ripper. We all do, Jack. One step at a time, though, yeah? So this theory I've got. Why do I feel like I'm the last to know? You're the second to know. Will allowed himself a small smile. His eyes trained on Jack's elbow. Bev called to give me the results for the red fibers stuck in number 15's teeth. I bounced the idea off her, and she bounced it back. What's funny? Nothing's funny. Jack knew he was smiling, laughing to himself a little. Just good to know you're still in there. Can I be out of there as well, or am I confined to self-analysis? Oh, you can be as out there as you like, just as long as you're out there with us. I'll remember not to get married again any time soon, Will said dryly. Jack's laugh faded, and his smile mellowed along with it. Will's words mirrored his alphas just a little too closely. As if on cue, the door opened a little further, and Hannibal entered, carrying a tray with three glasses of white. I fear my arbitrator has been swayed to the opposition, Hannibal said as he gave Jack his glass. Dinner should not be kept waiting. It's difficult to be off duty, Jack admitted, taking a large sip of wine. Oh, now that's something, he found himself saying. Any smoother, and it'd slip back out my mouth. Will sipped his own and frowned. Jack watched as Will caught Hannibal's eye. A single eyebrow was raised. Hannibal replied by tipping his head to the right and looking down. For Jack, the silent exchange was fascinating to witness, from a behavioral point of view. Further than that, it just rubbed salt in the wound. You opened it? Will wasn't asking, though he sounded suspiciously stunned. It appears tonight has become an occasion. Hannibal seemed utterly amused. Now I'm not sure if tonight is an occasion with the wine or because of the wine, Will said, taking another sip. I think I've missed something, Jack interjected cautiously. When we flew back from Germany, Will explained as they were led downstairs. Had three hours to kill before the connection. There was time to go shopping, and Hannibal treated himself. I understood we were supposed to be saving it, but it seems not. All right, you've got me worried. What kind of price tag did I just swallow? No, Jack. It is crass to ask the host how he feeds his guests, Hannibal said, walking down the stairs ahead of them. He knew he could rely on Will. When Jack looked to his left, Will was awkwardly holding up seven fingers, his glass still held in his left hand. Seven hundred dollars? Jack couldn't hold back the exclamation. Add a zero, Will said. Completely out of his league would have been an understatement. If Jack wasn't so unreservedly competitive, being in the bullpen was his home turf. Unfortunately, it seemed it was also Hannibal's. It wasn't difficult to see when he was being outdone in the unstated competition. Hannibal was a tricky opponent. Well, if I'm going to feel like I've brought an inadequate gift, I might as well do it drunk on my inadequacy. An aperitif is to be savored, Hannibal was saying as they entered the dining room. St. Thyrochos of Fochti wrote a monologue against the practice of drinking before a meal, as it did not discipline the sexual organs. The same man who wrote, whoever loves himself cannot love God, if I'm not mistaken, 
Will said, to which Hannibal smiled fondly at his spouse. I can't say I'm surprised. Then I think it is fair to say we drink against his teachings, as philosophical rebels. Once they were seated, Hannibal lifted his glass. A toast for the occasion. Two? Will asked, as he moved his fork minutely to the right to keep it in line with his plate. There was a moment's silence, in which Hannibal looked at his wine, as if it were a co-conspirator. To fascination, and the places it takes us. Good or bad, Will added in a murmur. I'll drink to that, Jack said, to be polite. They all drank, though Jack was sure none of them were thinking of St. Diodocus as they did so. Truthfully, he didn't like where fascinations led either Hannibal or Will, towards marital bliss and towards the dark places respectively. But if he had to pick, he resented the marital bliss more than the other, even if it made him feel like an awful person for even thinking it. Jack decided, as they ate, that he would have maybe preferred something a little less abstract as a toast, like, here's to not forcing your boss to contend with other alphas for control. It was never fun to feel as if there was an interloper in the pack, especially one he'd invited personally, and one who was able to concoct not only delicious cuisine, but subtly barbed conversation, which was designed specifically to exert his superiority. Hannibal spent his meal in his element, and Jack wished he could either be too drunk to notice or sober enough to fight back. You know, Will said, when they were once more alone, waiting for Hannibal to return with dessert. I thought we were past niceties, Jack. I'm sorry? I've known you for five years. Never seen you keep quiet for so long when something pisses you off this badly. Maybe I'm mellowing in my old age. And maybe I'd believe that if I were a moron, Will said, finishing his glass. Will hadn't seemed to discriminate between wines, which had made Jack feel a little less laughable. Am I going to have to watch this pissing contest all night, or do I get a break? I don't think that's up to me anymore. Christ, that must have hurt. I feel like this is karma. Jack smiled thinly. I just came to offer my congratulations. A peace offering? Which would be why you've both been trying to one-up each other since you stepped in the door, Will offered sarcastically. Or are you just trying to figure me out? It was easy to recognize the familiar look. Will knew how he worked. Jack had spent years witnessing the moment when Will knew. It was always a good idea to keep your opinions to yourself and let him say what he wanted to say in these moments. Dealing with Graham was always a social nightmare, considering Will refused to be constrained by society's whims. Or Jack's, for that matter. You're not going to ask? Will looked up over his shoulder at clinking from the kitchen. Okay, then. I get to cross them off a list for you. If you think it was for status, then you must think I'm pretty shallow. If you think it was for the money, then you must think I'm even shallower. If you think it was for the protection, then I'll lose all respect for you. I wouldn't presume to fully understand your choice, Will. All right, he smiled. I can make it easier. You want to know why I married Hannibal? I've never known who I am more than when I'm with him. The bluntness of the answer took Jack off guard. And he lets me. Lets me be whatever I need to be. I've never had that before. Not once. He doesn't pander. He doesn't expect. And when he tries to manipulate me, at least it's an enjoyable game. He's... Will searched for the words, his eyes wandering across the damask tablecloth. As utterly singular and compellingly mad as I am. If there are better reasons than those to say yes, then maybe I'm the fool. Jack would have said something if Hannibal hadn't returned with his final course of this torturous night. Or at least he told himself later that he would have. A cornucopia, 
Jack smiled as Hannibal placed the artful platter in the middle of the table and sat down, sorting his suit jacket. I should have expected nothing less. Fix, Hannibal began, detailing the tumble of fruits and such that filtered from the brass horn. Comb honey, dates, pomegranates, dried apricots, almond cake, and seasonal fruits. A fitting finale. A last supper, one might say. Old giving way to new. Really, Hannibal? Will shook his head, running his index and middle fingers over his mouth. Jack waited again, feeling caught on the hop by their interplay. Will knew Hannibal, it seemed, while Jack was learning that the man he called friend had somehow become an utter mystery, and a dangerous one at that. The man in question pursed his lips in a twitch-like motion and began fishing for choice fruits from the platter. My husband disapproves of my choice. I just hoped we could all sit down as friends, Will sighed, plucking out a fig and tearing the ripe fruit open with his fingers. Seems I was hoping for too much. Will addressed Jack as he gestured to the plate. When he said last supper he was being literal, all this would have been on the table before the apostles. Then it stands to reason that one of us might be chosen for martyrdom, Jack said, and that one of us will take his thirty pieces of silver. Hannibal rebutted, and that one of us will be in the living room until you're both quite done, Will said, dropping his split fig to his plate in sudden irritation. Jack was forced to watch Will stand up and leave them both bereft, and feeling a little foolish. Or at least, that was how Jack felt. He couldn't speak for Dr. Lecter, who seemed to be taking Will's departure in his stride. He was beginning to suspect that none of this had been done for the benefit of impressing Will, but rather fully to put Jack in his place. It seemed Will certainly did know Hannibal better than he did. He was tempted to go after him, talk this through the old-fashioned way. Yet Jack liked to think he was intuitive enough to know when he was beaten. His instincts told him to leave Graham and Lecter alone, and everything else would work out somehow. Truthfully, I am surprised someone has not been here sooner to ask, though I must admit I value your visits, Miss Starling. It's difficult to be drilled for information by a bad listener. Jack Crawford no longer has the patience, and dear Alana Bloom seems to have gone off the idea entirely, both of Will and myself. Does that leave you to forage out in the forest for truffles? Starling didn't interrupt Lecter's spiel, even though she did not enjoy the monologue or his comparison of herself to a pig. Lecter did so love his puns. She knew that much from her conversations with him. And games. He loved games. Pull you in and push you away. The man was like riding a roller coaster. She wondered briefly how Will Graham had managed to stand it for almost three years but I appear to be doing a good impression of someone who likes the sound of their own voice. Lecter smiled softly. Do ask away. It appeared to Clarice that Dr. Chilton had gone a little trigger-happy with punishing Lecter for his indiscretion with Will Graham. Yet, in his stripped-down cell, sketches gone from the walls, books from their shelves, and even the toilet seat gone from the toilet, Lecter still sat in his chair, perfectly composed. In his small, gray box, the man managed to make it seem as if she were a curious student who had come to see her mentor in his study. Honestly, she found it quite impressive, in a sociopathic sort of way. Actually, I was wondering if you could give me a perspective on Will Graham. She opened strongly. No point in pussyfooting. Lecter would tear her apart. Well, that all depends on the perspective. Lecter's eyes narrowed almost imperceptibly through a magnifying glass for all the petty little details, through a half-open door to learn secrets, through a hunter's sights. I was thinking more a scalpel and a bone saw. 
It was always better to play into the doctor's metaphors. He seemed to appreciate it. Ah, then you wish to see inside. Tricky places inside. Wills resembles a sponge where others have hearts and brains. He absorbs where others reflect. This work is antithetical for someone of his talents. Though I admit, watching him work is rather hypnotic, is it not? He is... efficient. How egalitarian of you, Clarice. Lecter crossed his legs. I hope you do not mind me calling you Clarice. She shook her head. Only, if we are to discuss the most intimate areas, then first names seem a little more than just a necessary social nicety. There have been many over the years, but Clarice was reminded of a guy in her second year, the type that couldn't take a hint, an antsy beta with too much testosterone to keep himself steady. He'd tried every line on her in the book, and he wasn't the only one. She dated Forbes Jackson for four months after graduation, until she realized there was nothing there but hope for more. She saw colleagues with partners. She still rebuffed advances accurate enough to make you wince. None of them had a quarter of the charm Lecter was able to exude on cue. He was quietly powerful, but with a hint of dangerous savagery residing just beneath the skin. Perhaps it wasn't such a stretch to understand how Will Graham had stood those three years. We don't have anything concrete, but Will seems to have a scent. Then I suggest you pick up his leash and take off the collar. Will's nose very rarely leads him astray. That's proving tricky. He's... She didn't want to give too much away. Talking to Lecter was an exercise in caution. Having problems. I would have found it more surprising if you told me he was not. It's not just mental. Seems to be manifesting itself physically. He won't let anyone in to help. You entered into a devil's bargain with Jack Crawford, Clarice. He has asked you to use Will for your purposes, and you are his keeper. It takes its toll, watching the fallout. Jack isn't the devil, just a slave driver. When it comes to how far he is willing to push Will across the chessboard, he is certainly no saint. She thought of where she wanted the conversation to go. Lecter was always the host and never the guest. He steered the conversation whichever way he wished it. Clarice knew she would have to be compromising. Before meeting Will Graham, she said carefully, I had a framework in my head of who I would encounter, of the way he is, or thinks he is. The way you think of a person isn't always a reliable guide to who they are. I was wrong about him. Were you ever wrong about him? I have underestimated him before. I have never been wrong about him. He once told me, in a very brief letter after my incarceration, that he knew who he was, but that he was not so sure who I was any longer. If it had been anyone but Dr. Lecter, Clarice would have assumed he was running his eyes over her on purpose. She thought she knew that look by now. He was seeing something that was there only for him, a memory. He was scarred then, and resentful of it. I hope he has awoken sense to his reality. Our scars have the power to remind us that the past was real. I don't think Will wants to remember his past. No, he does not. He wishes to live in it. Do you? I'd rather make the past my future. Sounds overly optimistic. Only if you have no imagination. Such is your inventive little pilgrim. He seems to have lots of imagination to spare, taking the power into his own hands, which he has been denied for so long. First he kills the pet, then the family. It seems Freddy Lowndes was Will's pet. The next step is obvious, even to someone lacking in foresight. Then it's fair to assume you don't care if Will lives or dies. 
One should never assume, Clarice. It's unbecoming. And foolish. Especially for one who wishes to believe I am still besotted in love. I wouldn't care to know what you mean. Oh, come now. The stink of romance almost overpowers that delighted perfume you're wearing. I know you wish to understand me through the veil of my love for Will. It is my one relatable quality, no? Though I know that few could understand our love who were not a part of it. Drawn in. She knew she was. It was too difficult to resist the opportunity. You were building a family with him, she prodded. Family is a crude term. We created life which spawned death. It was not to my plan, but it was to someone else's, it seems. I felt my hand was forced. Then you are disappointed that he was made to hate you? Will doesn't hate me. He regrets. A life without regret is no life at all. Will is relearning how to be intimate with his instincts. Lecter sniffed and looked up towards the ceiling. They have doled through misuse. The way any animal thinks depends on the limitations of body and mind. If we learn our limitations too soon, we never learn of our power. You were limited, were you not? By the integral foster system of this fine country? Still, you may find it yet, as Will has. You want him to suffer in the past he can't escape? Clarice felt both disgusted and pained on Will's behalf, though she didn't show it. Doesn't such cruelty go against the grain? That sounds almost ridiculous, considering. Lecter smiled. But then, cruelty is often misunderstood. There is no need for unnecessary suffering. Human emotions are a gift from our animal ancestors. Cruelty is a gift humanity has given itself. Then you believe you've given him a gift. The rarest and most precious. Only, he was not ready to receive it. Your madness. Madness can be seen as a medicine for the modern world. Will wishes to cure with his own brand of madness, the barely acceptable kind. To catch these killers, he gets into their heads, though doing so opens a two-way door. When will you be able to tell, Clarice, if the door has truly closed behind him? Then we'll get him a therapist. Are you a suitable replacement for therapy, Miss Starling? It seems I might be Will Graham's. A wide and amused smile split Lecter's face, so much so that Clarice half expected him to laugh. Not to cause offense, but I very much doubt that. Will's needs are very specific. She felt her phone vibrate in her pocket. Clarice murmured out an, excuse me for a moment, and checked the screen. A text from Jack. Back here, ASAP. Graham's got a bite. Clarice couldn't help the spike of excitement the sight caused. It seemed bizarre to her that she could hear so much of Will Graham that should make her trust him as far as she could throw him, and yet the confidence she had in him had not wavered. It was with a disgusted amazement that she realized Will and Lecter shared that pathology in common. They were identical in the quality of their ease of manipulation and the dependency they inspired. Fascination was a deadly tool, it seemed. "'Excuse me, that's all the time I have,' she said as she stood, putting her jacket over her arm. Thank you for seeing me, Dr. Lecter. Any time, Clarice. Lecter, ever the gentleman, stood with her. And do tell dear Will that if he ever needs to find the trail of crumbs to the gingerbread house, he knows where I am. She did not hesitate, because it would be too telling a gesture. All she could wonder as she walked the long corridor was, Does he truly know where the dragon is? The need to believe it was true was shocking. Clarice hoped after her flight back to Chicago when she told Will the message, that he was able to resist it as she was.
Ever since that night, Lil Graham had become, once more, unutterably difficult. Well, that morning in particular, if Hannibal was to be truthful with himself. The memory of the man's naked skin beneath his palms, the smooth line of his neck, the unabashed dilation of his pupils, the unmitigated sensuality he had descended into, the pure descent into his true self that Will had provided, was enough to have Hannibal lick his lips as they stood in the hotel room while the rain beat down outside. He had been allowed to devour him, allowed being an operative word, because Will Graham did not let you take anything for granted. Of course, he may have taken it a little far. It had been a temptation, offered so freely that he could not resist, so that when Will's phone had rung that next morning, Hannibal had answered while Will slept peacefully beside him. Dr. Lecter speaking. Hannibal? Jack's unsure voice had been utterly priceless. Have I called the wrong number? I'm looking for Will Graham. Ah, yes. Let me just wake him for you. The fallout had been wholly spectacular enough to make him only partly regret the act of exposing he and Will's carnality. Graham had left without so much as a thank you, mercifully after dressing himself. A naked man storming from his house would have caused a stir with the neighbors. Since then, he had seen neither hide nor hair of him for three weeks, enough that Hannibal had begun to, dare he even think it, miss the man. Until now. And now, it seemed, they were once more working together, which Hannibal had been surprised Jack had allowed to continue now that he was aware of their intimacies. Professionalism hadn't seemed to be one of Will's strong points, and yet he was exercising it here, leaving Hannibal with the only plausible conclusion, that Will was in the market for forgiveness. Tempting. So very tempting. It was enough to make his oath waver, to always play with his food. Will Graham presented an odd mouthful. Bitter and yet only one bite left you wanting for more. Hannibal knew he was walking a dangerous line. Take too many bites, and the meal begins to notice. Hannibal found that he did not wish for Will to notice. Not quite yet. Don't force the square peg through a round hole, Jack. It's the act of a desperate man. Will was arguing, hair plastered to his head, and his thick jacket quite drenched from his walk to the crime scene, while Jack Crawford stood beside him, dry as a bone. The hotel they stood inside had appeared bright but empty in the night sky as he drove in, like a Christmas tree who had had its presents stolen, and inside a man ensconced in a bathtub with his sutures clawed open and his chest inside out. It's got all the hallmarks, Jack was arguing. It's the ripper all over again. Don't let me catching you dismissing before the horses have even finished the race. There is no race, Will refuted. There's fact and there's fantasy. The fantasy is that you think the Ripper's getting sloppy enough to leave us a farce like this. The fact is that this wasn't the Ripper. Will had laid out his adamant conclusion after he'd been left to do whatever it was he did, alone in the room with the corpse. Hannibal had itched to peek inside, to watch Will descend into the mind of madness, much as he had descended into depravity in his arms all those weeks ago, would surely be the sweetest of treats available. Sadly, it had been denied as it had been to them all as they were annexed to the hallway, until Will emerged with his unpopular denouncement. Knife wounds are cuts, not stabs. Brian Zeller, back out in the hallway, sounded as adamant as Jack. He has expert anatomical knowledge dissecting skills. Mutilation, organ removal, victims in his clothes, on display. Can I say etc., or should I go on? Twenty-two components and all that are attributable to the same killer. Twenty-two possible components. Will clarified. 
It's the Ripper, Zeller said purposefully. Seemingly without offense, or even looking as he did it, Will closed the door in Zeller's face. The last view Hannibal was afforded was Zeller's complete surprise, and Beverly Katz smiling at Will's abrupt boldness, before the door snapped shut. Jack didn't even blink, making Hannibal assume this was customary behavior for Graham. Hannibal decided taking it in his stride would be best. Okay, convince me, Jack said with a sigh. What makes you so sure? Will didn't talk straight away. He stood for a moment, as if savoring the air, rubbing his palms together. When he eventually started to talk, his words were slow and deliberate. Let me give you a comparison. The Ripper left a victim in a church pew using his tongue as a page marker in his Bible. This is not that. This is a medical student or a trainee, someone trying to make an extra buck on a back alley surgery, and it went bad. Actively bad. Hannibal was finding it difficult to focus purely on Will's analysis, now that the younger man had shrugged out of his wet jacket. The collar of his shirt was damp. Hannibal knew beneath the civil layer of cloth would be the marks he had left on that pale skin. The animalistic part of him, ruled by his biology, snarled with want to see the fruits of his possession. Hannibal's only outward sign of his reaction was to sniff, pouting and twitching his lips upward in the familiar motion. Dr. Lecter? Jack appeared to be coming to him for support. Your thoughts? I must disappoint you, Jack, he said as he walked carefully forwards and stood at the feet of the cold, dead body in the bathtub, chest cracked open and heart on display. But I concur with Will's conclusion. Similarities and idiosyncrasies are not the same thing. The man you seek would not leave such a... mess. It seems that you and I's semantics of the word mess differ, Doctor. Ah, well, I hope I am not alone in thinking that the Ripper wishes to produce something artful, not crude. His motive is not accessible through, as the zealous Mr. Zeller states, simple similarities. Do you see those cuts? Will continued, walking up to stand at the head of the bathtub. Hannibal was allowed a moment to enjoy their symmetrical positions, both physical and mental, amateurish, hurried. The Ripper doesn't fumble like a freshman on his first date. His hands are steady, and his displays are embellished. What if he was interrupted? Jack argued. Then you'd have two bodies instead of one, Will said with a shrug. Hannibal, just out of their line of sight, closed his eyes and savored Will's voice. The man was becoming more than just the beautiful little amusement he had taken him for on their first meeting. When he opened them, Will was looking vaguely in Jack's direction, though never making eye contact. "'You'll catch the Ripper eventually,' he said in placation. "'I want to catch him now,' Crawford said, managing to avoid sounding like a spoiled child. "'And when I do, you won't have a chance to shoot him, because I'm going to.' "'Is it fair to ratchet up the law just to get underneath it, Jack?' Hannibal asked. Sometimes, Crawford answered. He took a moment then. How do you see the Ripper, Will? In my head, when I'm asleep, Will replied. Craving the idea that they might be alone to pursue that line of conversation made Hannibal wish there was a door to close on Jack Crawford, much as Will had done to Zeller. Instead, Hannibal filed the thought away for later and listened. Not quite what I was going for, Jack said tightly. You asked, Will shrugged again. I've already given you a profile. I want your opinion. Will closed his eyes and swallowed softly. Hannibal found himself entranced by the way his Adam's apple bobbed as he did so. When Will turned, there was a brief moment of connection as Will caught and held his gaze. Then it was gone as his eyes moved away. 
The words that followed seemed all the more poignant for the split few seconds in which they were the only ones in the room who seemed to understand, even if Will did not know that yet. He's a shape of a person, Will said, staring at no one as he spoke. He looks normal, but is elegantly obstructed. Less of a person and more someone wearing a person suit. That sounds appropriately lonely. Jack sounded like he needed the vindication. I'm sure he's entirely appropriate to his friends. You think he has friends? You were surprised when you found out I had friends. Will quirked up the right side of his mouth and tipped his head as he moved back out into the room. I'm sure he'll be surprised by a few more things before all this is through. Hannibal would admit he was very much enjoying himself, listening to their insights, when the door opened to reveal Beverly, a phone in her grip which she held with her hands over the receiver. Sheriff's downstairs, she said. Great, Jack sighed. The circus is in town. Will, make sure the coroner gets everything she needs. Sure, Jack, Will nodded. Will did the handover, and they stood outside the room and watched as the coroner and the crime scene analysts, including Katz, Price, and a rather ruffled Zeller, entered the room to clean up shop. Once everything was taken care of, Will stood by the wall, rubbing his fingers together. They seemed cold, the skin yellowed and pale. Just up the corridor, Hannibal spied a laundry cart stocked with fresh towels. Retrieving one and handing it to Will seemed a viable beginning to test his luck. Interestingly, Will appeared happy to offer no resistance. He took the soft towel in his hands and scrunched his fingers into the fibers. Thanks, he said, giving his hair a quick and vigorous rub. Next time there's a flood, perhaps you can let me know you are in need of a ferry. I was close enough to walk, Will said, putting his wet coat back on with a grimace. May I offer you my car for the return trip? Will continued to rub carefully at his drying curls. His hair was a delightful half-mess once he was done. Hannibal found amusement in the thought of mess, and Jack's debasement of his semantic attachments. A man's mutilated corpse and Will Graham's unruly hair. The pleasure of the irony of Jack's statements buoyed him towards Will's budding reply. "'Where will it be taking me?' Will asked. "'I am sure that is entirely up to you.' "'Oh, so now it's my idea? That's a nice touch,' Will said dryly. He looked instinctually towards the door as a clunk sounded from beyond. And if I wanted you to take me home? I'd ask if you have anything in for dinner. I believe you two have not yet eaten, and despite tonight's activities, I am famished. Will's laugh was vindicating, low and mellow and throaty. The man had a very attractive smile, which, when genuine, slid all the way into his eyes. He folded the towel meticulously while he spoke. You know, I've been thinking about what I should say to you, but now it seems nothing I thought of fits quite right. You do not like to be controlled, Hannibal posited. Corralled, Will corrected, with no way out. Is that what you want to do to me, Dr. Lecter? I prefer an open-door policy. Will shook his head and put the used towel by the door of the crime scene, as if it were laundry to be picked up. I should have taken my own warning. Oh? You're more dangerous than you look. Only depending on what you wish to avoid. Complications, Will said. And also a lack of complications. Sounds complicated. I tend to be. Will that be a problem? A wise man would consider such a thing a bonus. Are you a wise man? I think you have answered your own question. Will's smile reappeared, not truly ever having faded during their titi-a-titi, accompanied by a frown. Are we flirting? Inappropriately so. Hannibal said in return, his eyes showcasing his mischief. 
fifteen feet from a grisly murder scene. Uncomplicatedly complex enough for your tastes. I'm not sure, Will said, as he walked down the hallway, Hannibal following behind. I guess I'll have to try some more and find out. You're driving. Hannibal decided that small bites were not enough. Will Graham was a meal to be savored. He would need times to marinate, and many garnishes before he was ready for consumption. He could wait. Hannibal had always been good at waiting. Crawford sat in the back row of the jury box, eating redskin peanuts. Before him, Will Grand fussed with the projector and closed the courtroom blinds. "'You'll have that profile for me later this afternoon?' Jack asked him. "'You told me Tuesday. This is Tuesday.' "'I'll finish it,' Will said. "'I just want to watch this first. The Jacoby's film had arrived, neatly packaged and flown in with a short note from Metcalf to say sorry for the delay. But Niles Jacoby was a tight little prick, with no regard for the lives of others. Will hadn't cared about Niles Jacoby, and he still didn't. He picked up the digital disc in its plastic sleeve and put it in the DVD tray, the motor whirring as it slid inside. "'Is Metcalf pressing charges against Niles Jacoby?' Jack asked, his voice echoing slightly in the large room. "'Not for theft,' Will said, as he picked up the remote and waited for the thing to load. "'He'll probably inherit anyway.' Him and Jacoby's brother. They found hash when they busted him. Don't know about that. Birmingham's DA ready to take him down a peg. Good, was all Jack had to say, as the movie screen used to show jurors filmed evidence extended down from the ceiling. We checked the newsstands where the Tooth Fairy could have gotten the Tattler so fast. I've had reports back from Cincinnati, Detroit, and a bunch from Chicago. Various weirdos to run down. Will ignored him and started the film. The flickering of the cheap video camera made him feel woozy. It reminded him of the projector Hannibal had bought, running old film footage his family had taken when he had graduated from university the first time. When Will sat down, it wasn't a surprise to find the seat next to him occupied. Hannibal sat quietly, eyes on the screen. It was a fishing movie. Will had to actively stop himself from speaking to the absent man in the room, lest the other actually present become suspicious. Instead, he watched as the Jacoby children hunkered down on the bank of a pond, with cane poles and cork flies. Will took a deep breath and sighed, trying not to think about them in their small boxes, six feet under the earth. "'You are afraid,' Hannibal said. "'But you are not a coward, Will. It is your burden to bear. If only you would let me bear it with you.' "'Shh,' he said quietly. Jack cracked his peanut packet. "'What'd you say?' "'Nothing.' Will swallowed. Indianapolis is dragging its heels on questioning newsies and checking the Servco Supreme stations. Do you want me to watch this or what? Will bit out. Jack quieted down again. Will thought he saw Hannibal smile out of the corner of his eye. It gentled him somewhat. Will enjoyed the silence until the end of the two-minute film. Then Jack spoke up once more. Great, she caught a perch. Now this profile. Jack, you were in Birmingham right after it happened. I didn't get there for a month. You saw the house while it was still their house. I didn't. It was stripped and remodeled when I got there. Now, for Christ's sakes, let me look at these people. Then I'll finish your damn profile. He started the second film without any further interruptions. A birthday party appeared on screen. The Jacobis were seated around the end of a table with the cake in front of the youngest, Donald. The candles reflected in his glasses. Around the corner of the table, his brother and sister were side by side, watching him blow out the candles. Will saw Eleanor's last birthday in the scene. 
She had friends in place of siblings, and Milo had been there to make sure everyone was spoken to and taken care of, and things ran as normally as possible in a way Will wouldn't have been capable of. The need to reach out and take Hannibal's hand just to feel that it was real was suddenly overwhelming. He had to stop himself from finding out it was all just the fantasy he'd made for himself. It would be too damning. He was alone. So goddamn alone here. And so was Ellie, where she was. And so was Hannibal, he admitted, even if it stung. They were all alone. He shifted in his seat as he watched Mrs. Jacoby lean over, her dark hair swinging, to catch the cat and dump it off the table. Now a large envelope was produced, from which came a huge card with a trailing red line and the message, Follow the Ribbon. The bouncing progress as the camera followed, through a door fastened with a hook, down the basement stairs, into the basement where Donald was jumping for joy, with his hands on the handlebars of a ten-speed bicycle. Why didn't they give him the bike outdoors, he wondered. Mr. Jacoby was a city boy, Hannibal reminded him. He would have brought his city sensibilities with him to the countryside. Bikes to be kept inside when not supervised. Good point, Will muttered. Hmm? Jack asked, quick on the draw once more. Nothing, Will said again, absently. A jumpy cut to the next scene. Outdoors now, with Mr. Jacoby bringing the bike out from the outside basement door. It was the first view of him Will had ever seen, considering he was behind the camera in all of the other films. A breeze lifted the hair combed across his bald spot. He set the bicycle ceremoniously on the ground, and Donald ran up, ready for his first ride. The film ended with his cautious and wobbling attempt. Will wondered if he would feel the same pride when Ellie was old enough to take her first steps towards independence. He hadn't even been able to stand it when she was ready to go through the dynamics test. "'Losing her already, aren't you?' Hannibal said. "'Or are you letting her go to save yourself the pain?' "'Sad damn thing!' Jack said, before Will could consider the ramifications of Hannibal's question, which was concurrently his own question. But we already knew that. Something, he thought. There's got to be something here. Will started the birthday film over again. Out of the corner of his eye, he saw Jack shake his head and open his briefcase to read something by the aid of a pen light. On screen, Mr. Jacoby once more brought the bicycle from the basement. The basement door swung shut behind him. There was a large, shining, new padlock hanging from it. Will's heart skipped a beat. He froze the frame, causing Jack to look up. There, Will said, his mind going a mile a minute. There, Jack. That's what he wanted them for. Wanted what for? The bolt cutters. To cut the padlock and go in through the basement. Only he didn't in the end. Why didn't he go that way? Why make it difficult on himself and go in through the back door? I know he had a bolt cutter. He used it to trim the branch where he was waiting, watching from the woods. Why didn't he use it to go in through the basement door? When Will looked to Jack, he was smiling a crocodile smile. Because he couldn't. Couldn't? Will frowned. Did he try? Mark it up? I never even got a chance to see that door. The realtor, Gihan, he put in a steel one with deadbolts before I got there. You assume Gihan did, Jack qualified, sounding pleased with himself. Because Gihan didn't put it in. Jacoby did. The door was there when they were killed. Jacoby was a Detroit guy. He favored deadbolts. When did Jacoby put it in? Will asked seriously. Don't know, Jack said. Must have been after the kid's birthday. You got the autopsy records? Will fished about in the dark by the light of his phone. April 14th, a Monday, he murmured. I want to know when he changed the door, Jack. He watched the dull glow of Jack's visage show his growing realization. 
You think he cased the joint while the old door and padlock were there, Jack said, as Will began fiddling with the DVDs, putting in the leads again and pressing play. He brought a bolt cutter, didn't he? Will said, blinking rapidly. How else do you break into a house with a bolt cutter, unless there's a bar or chain or padlock? Jacoby didn't have any bars or chain gates, did he? No, Jack said slowly, as he stood up while in the Leeds movie the sound of a car pulling up played. Then he went there expecting the padlock. Bolt cutters are heavy and unwieldy. He was moving in daylight, and it was a long hike from where he parked. For all he knew, he'd be coming back in one hell of a hurry if something went wrong. He saw that door, Jack. But you can't see that side of the house from the woods. In fact, you can't see that door from any angle because of the garden. You'd have to be right up there, right up at the house. What are you looking for, Will? Jack asked carefully. This, Will said quietly, as he paused the film on the small, gray, Scotty dog, frozen as it scampered towards the door to greet Mrs. Leeds. The dog? The dog, Will said, while his mind ticked over. The dog, the bolt cutters. He doesn't wear a collar. There were dozens of dogs in that neighborhood. The Leeds' crankiest neighbors told me that. Said there were two or three just like the Leeds that used to come in his yard. The Tooth Fairy killed it, but how'd he know which was theirs? Could be posing as a tradesman to get inside the house, Jack posited. Electrics, plumbing, something like that. Metcalf would have their bank statements, Will said to himself. If he got in the house, he'd be able to plan the layout of the kill, know his way in and where to go when he got there. Will continued the film. He brought a glass cutter for the door, but you can see that there's no angle on the glass in the lead's door from the alleyway. You'd have to go inside to find it. The doors don't line up. Will showed Jack on the film. Will could feel his pulse thrumming in his veins, like a predator scenting its prey in the long grass. It didn't gee him up, but instead made him deadly calm. Okay, Jack said, probably noting his mood. Then you want Byron Metcalf busy on bank statements for when? April, May, Will said as he put the DVD back to the start. Seeing the leads alive preoccupied him. Absently, he told Crawford three numbers for Byron Metcalf. He ran the films again while Crawford used the phone in the jury room. There was the Leeds dog, no collar, but he'd known which one was theirs. There was Valerie Leeds, tugging at his heart. He had never felt as close to the Jacobis as to the Leeds. Regret is what makes a life a reality, Will. Hannibal stood beside the projector, half in the darkness. You no longer see them as nothing but chalk marks on a bloody floor. He swapped discs. Here were the Jacobi children, ranged around the table once more, candles flickering on their faces. For a flash, sudden and instant, Will saw the Jacobi's bedroom, the small blob of candle wax on the bedside table. He'd half expected it at the leads, but it had been absent. Then the bloodstains around the corner of the bedroom at the leads, the dead audience, the scene set as if he knew exactly where all the players should go. Crawford was coming back, phone in his hand. Metcalf wants me to ask if... Don't talk to me! He didn't have time to check if Jack was offended. The Will was sure Jack understood. The film ran on, and Will stared at it hard, eyes narrow and bright. His calm deepened. His pulse became a singing wail in his ears. Will it make it all better, darling? Hannibal walked towards him, caught in the projector's glow. If you catch him, will it make up for not catching me? Shut up, Will said, unable to stop himself. Just shut up! Jack said nothing. Will watched as the Jacoby's cat was pulled from the table. The dragon had known it was their cat, just like the lead's dog. 
The Leeds bedroom was in view when Mr. Leeds followed Valerie upstairs while she laughed and tried to cover the camera. The glass pane on the door. The padlock on the basement. Everything the dragon needed to know was in these films. The bolt cutters. The woman's handwriting. Somewhere they would wear gloves as a matter of course. The blue bureau. Something that used Amico office supplies. The ones Bev had dug up. Will stumbled back to the table and the gloom of the projector light and found the familiar green box the Leeds DVD had been sent in. Their names and the address was on it. Gateway Film Laboratory, St. Louis, Missouri, 63102. His mind retrieved the name and the place and the connection sparked. Gateway Film Laboratory was supplied by Amico from Beverly's List. St. Louis was one of the places the Tatler was available on Monday night, the same day it was printed. Oh, Jesus! Will clamped his hand to the side of his head, as if to keep the thought from escaping. Oh, Christ! Give me the phone, Jack! Give me the goddamn phone! It was handed over without question. Byron? It's Graham. Listen, those DVD home movies from the Jacobis you sent, were they in any containers? Sure, sure. I know you would have sent them along. Okay. I need help bad on something. Do you guys have their bank statements there? Okay. I need to know where they got the film digitized. Probably a store sent it off for them. If there's any transactions at camera stores or pharmacies, it's urgent, Byron. Really damn urgent. A short pause while he looked up his records, and Will became overly aware of the sweat forming on his skin. You have? Right. Okay. Give me the name. Birmingham FBI will start checking the stores now. If you find anything, shoot it straight to them. Then to us. Will you do that? Great. You're a godsend, Metcalf. A fucking godsend. While the Birmingham FBI corresponded with Metcalf, Will sat in the courtroom and played the Jacobi's film over again. Hannibal kept him company, sitting on the table with his long legs reaching the floor. They watched the children sing in silent voices, Happy birthday to you. For a hideous moment, Will wished Ellie could have had both of her fathers there for her birthday, at the corner of the table. That Ellie could have met him, just once, just once to let Hannibal feel her in his arms, to see the sum they had made of their whole. By the time Jack returned, two hours later, Will had come down from the pulse-pounding high of knowing they had their guy. He stood, knowing what Jack would say, even before the man dispensed with all formalities, and clapped Will on both sides of his shoulders, giving him a firm shake. Will nodded his head, even as he wished he could pull away into the firm hold of the man that stood behind him, if only in his head. It's Gateway? Will asked. Graham, you goddamn miracle worker. Jack grinned. It's Gateway.